women's rights in the world. Welcome to episode 11 in a series of podcasts from the Women's IP World Annual. I'm your host, Michelle Katz, and I'm the founding partner of the law firm Advitum IP, which in Latin means intellectual property for life. We are based out of the U.S. in Chicago. Me and my firm are hosting this podcast on behalf of Northens Media PR and Marketing Limited, based out of the U.K. in London. They are the publishers of the Women's IP World Annual and the Global IP Matrix magazine. The 2021 Women's IP World can be found digitally at www.womensipworld.com. Again, that's www.womensipworld.com. And you can listen to the annual as well on your favorite podcast app. Now that some IP conferences are back in person, keep an eye out for hard copies as well. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Anomi Wenega Sakara a partner at Julius and Creasy in Sri Lanka. Hello, Anomi. How are you? Hello. I'm fine, and I'm delighted to be a part of this today. Well, we're delighted to have you. And while it's early morning here in Chicago, we know that it's later at night in Sri Lanka. Uh, we figured it out. Um, let's see, 9.30 a.m. here is approaching 9 It's almost 9.30 here, so it's approaching 9 o'clock. PM by you. Is that correct? That's correct. And good morning to you. We figured it out. So um, tell me, how long have you been with Julius and Creasy? Well, I have been at Julius and Creasy for 38 long years. 38 long years, you said. Wow. Okay. So did you work at a firm prior to that? No, no. This is my first job and I continue to be there. Soon after my graduation and after my oaths as an attorney, I joined Julius and Creasy uh, just to get a training of uh, legal uh, arena and uh, as an associate. So once and I was uh, attached to the I was uh, attached to the intellectual property division, and I was exposed to other areas also. But I took a liking to intellectual property, and I have gone on. So 38 years in the same firm. I mean, we call that, you're a lifer. Yes. I know me, a lifer. Okay. And so, and that's, it's so beautiful. That's the way I feel like it used to be more often than it is now, where you meet attorneys who, um, you know, are changing jobs way more often. And so, I mean, obviously you're no longer a trainee after all this time. So can you tell us about your career Um, and how it progressed at at Julius and Creasy? Yes, that's what. So I joined Julius and Creasy in 1984, soon after my taking oaths. And when I joined the firm, it was a matter of my getting some exposure to different areas of law and for me to make a decision what my future is going to be. So I had never planned to be joining Julius and Creasy and staying on at Julius and Creasy throughout. But the vacancy fell in the intellectual property department. 
so my senior partners were very helpful and they were guiding and I took a liking and it was such a passion to learn intellectual property. So I went on, I mean, we have different areas and the firm had intellectual property department, which has been functional. Let me brief you a little bit about the firm, which has been founded in 1879 by two British. For over a century, the intellectual property department had been functional. So it was um, interesting and it was like challenging for me because all aspects of intellectual property work is handled by a firm. Of course, it's a full service law firm. So I had the opportunity of doing other work as well. I was exposed to, um, say, the corporate, a little bit of testamentary, litigation, uh, conveyancing, uh, just to get an idea. But my main attachment was to the intellectual property department. So starting, I mean, the 1800s, is, is your firm the oldest firm in Sri Lanka that's still operating? It is one of the oldest firms in Sri Lanka. As a firm, if I call, yes, it is the oldest. Founded by the two names, you get Julius and Chrissy. Mm-hmm. Founder partners. Are there and, are there family members, Anomi, that are still part of the part of the firm? I imagine the founding partners have have long have long passed. Yes, uh, till about the nineteen sixties, we had British partners, and thereafter the local partners took over. Now, hundred uh, percent, they are the local partners who are there. And are you so? Are you born and raised in Sri Lanka? Yes, I am. And what, so what's the, natu- the national language in Sri Lanka? Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, growing up um, in, in Sri Lanka? I mean, I, I've never been before. I, 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 it's always been on the radar for me, um, but it seems like such a beautiful place. Anyone who I've met from Sri Lanka has, ha- has such a passion for where they're from. Yes, you should visit Sri Lanka sometime. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to. Yes, <laughs> So uh, the, uh, well, uh, there are two, uh, like you get different races, Sinhalese, Tamils, uh, Muslims and Moors, Burgers. Uh, so the majority are Sinhalese, so that's the language, Sinhalese. And then the Tamil, the minority communities, uh, the Tamil language is spoken. And of course, English, because we have been under the British rule. So English is quite commonly spoken. And so you did all your schooling um, in Sri Lanka, is that right? Yes, correct. Okay. And so in Sri Lanka, when you go to law school, is it is it is it university, or is it a separate program outside of university? No. So you have both uh, options available. So you can go to the university, do your degree in laws, and then do your bar exams. Or you can enter the Sri Lanka Law College where they cater for the professional bar exams alone. So both are there. Why would someone choose one or the other? It sounds like it's faster, and correct me if I'm wrong, to, to just go straight into the law program. Uh, it is like you get the academic exposure once you do the degree. 
and the professional exams anyway you have to buy exams have to be done thereafter so mm-hmm. uh, if the local exams are done or at the u local universities they are familiar with the local law so the bar exams at the law college is only the finals to be done but uh, when uh, some students who do the foreign uh, law degrees Uh, they are permitted to uh, do the bar exams, but they have to do all three years of the bar exams just because they have to acquaint themselves with the Sri Lankan laws. So which route did you choose? I, uh, I uh, chose the bar exams first and I did my bar uh, attorneys first. Okay. Thereafter, I did my master's. Uh, And I have also registered with the University of Colombo uh, to do my uh, uh, MPhil, that is uh, Master of in Philosophy. Oh, okay. So a bit of a diverse background in the end. Yes. Oh, very interesting. Okay. Uh, and so tell us about, um, let's go back to career-wise. What is, what is the focus of your practice now within intellectual property? Well, I, I deal with all aspects of intellectual property, but uh, more exposure is towards the trademark and trademark prosecution and enforcement. So overall, uh, since I'm heading the intellectual property division, we have I have compartmentalized and depending on the associate's interest, uh, some are into patterns and pattern draftings and then designs, then copyright and the enforcement on IP. Likewise, I have divided uh, the associates. Whoever is interested in the other, even though they overlap, they all get participate in that manner. Right, to encourage a well-rounded education in IP. Yeah. You know, sometimes we end up working in a particular field because that's the work need at that time. I remember it, you know, it starting out in my practice, I did a lot of patent litigation uh, and I'm not a patent attorney, not that you have to be for litigation, but it was, I mean, it, that's, where the, that's where the need was. And I spent years, years and years on patent litigation. Um, and for me, my practice has, uh, where we still do that type of work, I find myself more so in other areas, um, even in the litigation arena. What about for you? Have you noticed that, you know, when you first started, you were in a particular area and then the substantive work that you're working on now has, has changed over time? Yes, it's like this. When I joined the firm and that at that time, it was more on trademark litigation. There were so many cases which uh, we had, I have handled, uh, mainly on trademark infringement. And then we have this statutory uh, provision for unfair competition. So it had been trademark infringements, unfair competition. And after some years, uh, our firm generally uh, focus on civil litigation. But when there was provision under the Intellectual Property Act for criminal litigation, uh, we switched to do those as well. So we do uh, enforcement uh, for civil as well as criminal mm. and customs recorders and so on. So in the, if I call like in the 90s, there had been so many infringement, trademark infringement actions. 
the numbers were very high then. And then gradually there were design uh, infringements and patent litigation is a handful, not very many. Mm-hmm. So mainly right now at present, it's there is a lot of litigation on infringements unfair, and more than that, I would call on unfair competition and also uh, on confidential information there are actions filed and on copyright of late that is like very recently uh, copyright cases are also common hmm. so there's been a spike in in the copyright area yeah uh, I've, I've been getting more copyright inquiries than usual lately as well um, in the infringement context and my yeah. first question is okay so do you have a certificate of copyright <laughs> i mean sometimes we get a yes but i feel like oftentimes it's a no um uh, which can complicate things. Um, I'm not sure about in in Sri Lanka. Are are your clients typically domestic clients? Um, the copyright we also don't have registration provisions. Oh, you don't so, have. No, Interesting. We don't. Okay, so, but it's uh, the provisions are there to protect copyright holders. So it has to be under the provisions of the act that we'll have to work on, and you'll have to prove on the originality of the works that they have created. So uh, we are a party to the Berne Convention and the international conventions. So based on that, we have to work out. So other than that, what we, we recommend clients to do is like depending on the nature of the copyright that they wish to protect. Uh, so we always say if it, it's a book, like, you know, to try and register, get an ISBN number or come into some agreement or have a little brief contract so that we it's easy to establish the ownership. I see. So that's very different here in the U.S. You can't even sue for copyright to get for damages anyway, um, unless you have a certificate of registration. A lot of people don't a lot of people don't know that. Um, I mean, injunction injunctive relief is a different story, but um, that, that's really interesting that Sri Lanka, I mean, you have to establish ownership. So the burden is on the copyright owner, right? To establish that first. That's right. And yes. then you proceed with that. That's very interesting. And, um, you know, the differences, <laughs> okay. differences among the different jurisdictions, I always find very interesting. Yes. Just I wanted to check with you on U.S. So how does that go in U.S. with regard to copyright? So there is provision to register copyright. Yeah, so our copyright office and um, a copy of the, the the work is placed in the Library of Congress. And without having that certificate of registration, which takes, it used to take um, anywhere from maybe six months to, to a year to obtain, um, I would say not, not it's kind of a, a much lower level of originality than might be required for, you know, um, in, in, in trademarks and patents, uh, but they can still be refused. Not everything um, gets accepted. So there is a, um, there are examiners that are assigned to the application. They review it. Now they take more like a year uh, minimum. There's been a spike uh, in the U.S. at least, uh, and perhaps in other countries as well, in all various types of IP filings and trademarks uh, just to be assigned to an examiner has doubled in time. Um, but we're seeing that 
that registrations it's taken about um, instead of six to 12 months, it's more like, um, you know, 10 to 14, some, something like that. So it's not quite double there. Um, but without having that piece of paper, uh, which are actually still issued um, in paper form, um, as opposed to just electronically, they, um, without that, you can't sue in court for, for infringement unless, it, well, not for damages. I mean, if you're suing for damages for copyright infringement, you need to have a certificate of registration. The office has, and because of that, the office has, it's, it's not expensive. The, the government fee for a company is around $55 for the government fee to, to prepare and file. But if you, uh, a copyright application, but if you're, um, there is a basis if you are, um, have impending litigation that you can expedite so that you're, instead of the length of time I described, it's more like, well, it used to be four months. Maybe maybe it's a little bit longer now, but still, it cuts your time um, drastically. Um, but the, then the government fee jumps, like, exponentially in order um, to get your copyright registration, your, your certificate of copyright faster. So that's just a little trick that, you know, like, if I mean... Not exactly a trick. I mean, it's in it's in the rules and everything. Um, if you need to, if you need expedited time, but otherwise, I mean, there's very few exceptions to the normal um, twelve month process or so. That's interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting, and I and um, I have found not even a lot of U.S. practitioners, unless they're doing a lot of copyright work, of course, they're they're they don't realize that necessarily because under trademark and patent, right? It's very it's very different where you don't, you don't have to have the piece of paper, of course, and trademarks, you know, if you don't have it, you're relying on common law. Um, but with, with copyright, um, to sue for damages, you, you need to, you need to have that certificate. You need it. And so in Sri Lanka, not so. And I think there's, I think there's other places as well. Um, you know, I'm sure other jurisdictions, but, um, I didn't realize that for Sri Lanka. So that's very interesting difference to note. Yes, but then there are provisions under the Act to protect the copyright holder. So mm-hmm. so there is copyright right. litigation, but a handful, mostly on the, the of late, there are issues with regard to royalty payments and third party, like the performing rights and the payments to be collected by the um, societies those are like just coming into play because it although there was provision it was not happening well and yeah i i yeah i can understand that and then when it comes to the the clientele in sri lanka i mean is there a lot of industry a lot of innovation coming out of sri lanka can you tell us a little bit about um and 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 your firm's practice you know whether it's more um you know national versus international clients yes Actually, when I started with regard to, uh, say, innovations with uh, the patterns, then we were filing, I would call 95% of our filings were the PCT national phase filings. Mm. So there was only just a handful of local applications. I see. And over the years, it has grown. And now, of course, the numbers have increased and I think during the pandemic situation the filing of local patent filings are 
much more. Uh, we do handle a few, but there are so many. If you look at the numbers at the National Intellectual Property Office, there are like the students and the individual uh, uh, certain individuals who have come up with new inventions are filing patent applications. And the universities also are now more like geared to protect whatever they do on the R&D. And uh, those numbers are accordingly increasing. Oh, well, that's, that's very good. Very good for the economy, I would imagine. At this time, we're going to take a quick break. And then we're going to turn to your article and shift gears to trademarks. The Women's IP World Annual is the industry's number one publication that celebrates the work and achievements of women working in IP, IP law and innovation globally. Our annual publication has attracted a cocktail of, or inspiring, knowledgeable women working at all levels in IP and innovation from all over the world. We are proud to share our platform and profile many inspirational women by sharing their industry knowledge through engaging thought leadership literature, stories and personal experiences. If you would like to be part of the Women's IP World Annual 2023, then please make sure to contact a member of our team to reserve your profile, editorial or branding packages by calling plus 44-0203-813-0457 or email info at womensipworld.com. Reserve your position in the Women's IP World Annual 2023 before the 1st of June to qualify for a 30% discount on our profile and editorial packages. The Women's IP World Annual 2023 Profiles, Articles, Rankings, Experience, Achievements, Accolades, plus so much more. Welcome back. Okay, so let's talk about your article, Protection of Well-Known Trademarks in Sri Lanka. How did you come to this topic? Well, I was I have been contributing different uh, uh, articles at different times. So at one point I was thinking, okay, let me talk about the well-known trademarks because we have protection under our IP Act. So that's how I thought of this topic. Okay, excellent. So, well, does... Does protection for well-known marks differ in Sri Lanka to many other jurisdictions? Well, I th- I would call that Sri Lanka well-known pr- marks are protected, and there is uh, I w- uh, there is lot of uh, uh, provision under the Act for the protection of well-known marks, whether they are registered in Sri Lanka or otherwise. As I have discussed in the article, so Sri Lanka. Uh, is a part, yeah, a party to the Paris Con, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Paris Convention and the TRIPS, and our Act has been uh, amended in two thousand and three to be TRIPS compliance, and uh, interle- uh, in- well-known marks are protected, and Section hundred and four one of the Act prohibits registration of marks if they are well-known marks. Uh, at the time of registration. So I have elaborated. Do you want me to explain more on the well-known marks, how it had been protected? Well, I was curious to know, you know, how, how you came to this subject. Are, are you representing certain well-known marks? Um, I, I have always found that, you know, it's fun. It's fun when you're working um, on well-known marks because, you know, they, they may be marks that, that are in your household, you know? So, um, 
are you are you working and you don't you don't have to give us the names or anything you know that that's um confidential yes i have been representing well, very well-known marks in Sri Lanka, and it had been certain infringers who had been uh, using the well-known marks where there was registration and there was some which... Most of the ones which I have been uh, litigating was on well-known marks which are registered. I could, uh, for example, like I would say just one or two, like Apple or maybe Coca-Cola. So mm. these were like you know, the dilution of the marks by use of the local parties and some were for identical products. And uh, I do, I have been working on these matters. So, and it's always, <laughs> when you're dealing with um, a client with um, a well-known mark, sometimes, right, we have to determine, or sometimes it's obvious, sometimes we have to really go through the factors, right? Like, is this a well-known mark? Because <laughs> it might seem well-known to... Um, you know, to the rights holder, but is it really? And your article was very thorough about, you know, what are what is the, you know, the test for that? I mean, can you talk a little bit about um, your experience with, um, you know, that determination? Yes, always. I have, we have to assess and see whether that mark is well known. So although the provision of the act uh, refers to well-known marks. We have to see whether the mark, if it is registered a mark which is for identical goods, uh, if it then if somebody uses such mark, and then depending on if it is a well-known mark, then it is a clear infringement. But sometimes there are marks which are registered for other type of goods. Such marks are generally objected to again under this 104.1d, but depending whether, you know, there can be confusion with regard to the, whether there is a connection between the well-known trademark owner and this third party who is using, or it can be damaging to the reputation. So that's the other instance where the marks are uh, taken. You have to analyze and see whether the marks are used, whether how well-known the mark is, and then decide how we could uh, maybe in a notice of opposition or in a court action, how we could take it forward. So before anything, we always, when it comes to litigation, we check and get a investigation done to see whether these marks are known, how well, because we, we have criteria laid down in our act, but it's not exclusive or exhaustive. So it's a matter of our getting facts in place before we decide how we proceed. So Anomi, believe it or not, we are out of time. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we close? Uh, okay, yes. I would like to say that I have one daughter, one and only, and she also ended up doing law. And she took so passion to intellectual property and she did her master's in intellectual property and uh, no influence it was on her own and today she is in the corporate sector handling ip that is not with the firm but independently in the corporate field oh that's wonderful congratulations anomi um you know i wouldn't say you had no influence but i think i understand what you mean no no pressure um Yes, no pressure, mm -hmm. but she took a liking to it. She's Rukshani. That's wonderful. Well, thank you very much for adding that little bit. And then to close, 
I encourage our listeners, many of whom practice in the trademark area, to take a look at Anomi's article, page 64 of the latest edition from 2021, um, because it really lays out very clearly, concisely, uh, even with the citations with sections, um, this, this area, this very important and useful area of trademark law. Um, thank you, Anomi, for being a part of our podcast. Um, it has been a pleasure to have you as our guest. And to our listeners, please like, follow, share with your friends, but also feel free to send comments and questions. Also keep an eye out for the Women's IP World Annual 2022, which is coming out soon. Take good care, everyone, and perhaps we can connect in person at INTA in in, um, D.C. in early May of this year. I look forward uh, to future podcasts and connecting with you in person soon. Thank you very much, everyone. And thank you, Anomi, again. You're welcome, uh, Michelle. You're welcome. You have been listening to the Women's IP World Annual Podcast, hosted by Michelle Katz from Advitum IP in Chicago, on behalf of Northern's Media PR and Marketing Limited.